2024. Does anybody just feel like 2023 went by super quickly? <clears throat> yeah, man, I do too. It has been a, a year that seems like it has just flown by. And in this room, there are many who have had a great year. And there are some who've had a, a very difficult year. Maybe for you, it was maybe you're young and you're in school and you worked hard this year and you made really good grades. It was good. And then you, you had the team that you were trying out for and you practiced, you practiced, you practiced, and the coach saw your skill. You made the team and that was awesome. Maybe you made some good relationships. You have some good friendships. Maybe at your job, it, it was really good and you, you worked hard and you applied and you got the promotion you got the raise, people acknowledge your hard work and your dedication, you feel appreciated at your job and things are just going really well. Maybe from a physical standpoint, you, you worked hard this year, you, you lost a few pounds. Some of us, we gained 10 pounds last week, but maybe you're different. Maybe you lost a few pounds and you started exercising, you feel good about where you are physically. Everybody in your family is happy and healthy. And maybe from a spiritual standpoint, you're just doing really well. You have a deep relationship with the Lord. You're using your gifts, your talents, your abilities for the kingdom of God. You have a, a drive, a desire, a passion to grow in the Lord every day. And so maybe 2023 has been really good for you, but maybe for you it's the opposite. Maybe 2023 has been tough. Maybe you tried hard at school, but... When you got the test grade back, it wasn't really good, and mom and dad are a little upset with you. Maybe you wanted to make the team so badly, and you worked, but when you went to the tryouts, the coach didn't see your skill. You had a bad tryout, and you didn't, you didn't make the team. Maybe friendships come hard to you. Maybe you worked hard at your job. You wanted the promotion, but once again, you were overlooked. And maybe from a financial standpoint, things are getting pretty tight. Maybe you're getting sick and tired of living paycheck to paycheck and you, you feel like there's no relief. Maybe relationships have been difficult. Maybe it's been a bad year for health. And maybe there's been great, great loss in your life this year. And going through Christmas and this happy time of year has been very different for you. It's been hard. There have been tears that have been shed, something that you've experienced that you never have before in life. And maybe from a spiritual standpoint, you realize that you're just kind of caught up in a rut. You, you don't read your Bible much, and maybe the only time you read your Bible is when the preacher tells you to open it. Your, your prayer life is almost non-existent. You don't have that desire, that passion that you once did. Maybe you're not using your spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God, and you realize something's lacking, but you can't find the motivation to change it. And maybe you're ready for 2023 to be over. There's something about a new year. There's something about the newness that comes with it, the, the fresh start. It's almost like when the clock strikes midnight, there's a great reset button, and we hope and we anticipate that 2024 will be better than 2023. And that's why, as Rob mentioned, we make New Year's resolutions. Many of you may have already thought about this, a New Year's resolution. It reminds me of the 
little boy who went to his daddy and he said, Daddy, what is a New Year's resolution? And the dad said, well, son, it's a to-do list for the first week of January. And that's, that's oftentimes what it comes down to. Uh, the, the top, I looked this up, the top New Year's resolutions, number one is to lose weight. In fact, gym memberships, some of you say amen because you're thinking that's me. Gym memberships rise 40 to 50% in January, but what's amazing is in February they go back to normal. So they get crowded in January and then it goes back to normal. Number two, New Year's resolution is to manage debt or save money. Number three, get physically fit. Number four, eat healthy. And number five, learn something new. The problem is the latest studies show that only 8% of people actually keep their New Year's resolution. 80% of people will not get past the month of January. It's like the, the guy that wanted to lose weight, and he said, man, January, I'm going to watch what I eat. I'm no more eating all this Christmas goodies. I'm going to watch what I eat. I'm going I'm to walk. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to get fit. Oh, wait, is that cake? <laughs> I, like, I like some cake. That's how it is in our life a lot of times. We have these good intentions. We want to do things better, do things different, but it's hard to live them out. There's a guy who said, my New Year's resolution is to lose just enough weight so that when I brush my teeth in the morning, my belly doesn't jiggle. And so sometimes you've got to keep things real in life. New Year's resolutions are all about trying to be the best that we can be. It's about reaching our potential. They are done in reflection over the previous year when we take a personal inventory as we look forward to what's ahead. And I'll remind you this morning that we cannot change the past, but we can grow as we reflect on the past and move forward to the future. I want to direct you to two areas that are foundational this morning, and I believe if we would apply these to our life, they would change the world around us in a spiritual standpoint. What I'm going to be talking about is a lot more important than losing 50 pounds. It's more important than getting a, a six-pack of abs. It's more important than paying off debt or developing a strong emergency fund. Two areas that I believe would make such a difference in our life, in our church, in our community, and that is if we would passionately pursue Jesus and if we could be liberated from legalism. To passionately pursue Jesus and to be liberated from legalism. Albert Moeller says, No one who has truly experienced the transforming and redeeming power of the gospel can think of a life without passion. If you have your Bible, please go to Philippians chapter 3. Open your Bible. We're going to be looking at this together. We'd love for you to see this in front of you. Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> I'm not going to have you stand because we're going to be looking at this just verse by verse, piece by piece. But I want you to look there at verse 2. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. With the idea of being liberated from legalism. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, there's a warning in this verse. Be on guard. Be alert. Look out. And what are we to look out for? We are to look out for the dogs. Now, who are the dogs? In, in this society, dogs were the 
low life of the animal kingdom. They were these scavengers that would come up. They're not like our dogs today. If you're honest, many of you women, you love your dog more than you love your husband, right? And that's, that's another sermon we'll get to. But in this culture, some of you husbands say amen. That's true. I live that. <clears throat> Amen. But in this culture, it was not like that. Dogs were not these pets that you would love on and you would pet on. They were these scavengers that would come up when you did not want them to be nearby. And so when he says, watch out for the dogs, he's saying, watch out for those who mark their faith in Christ by what they do or what they do not do. They had faith they had faith in Christ, but that was not enough. There's more. They are the, the Judaizers. They are these Christian Jews who want to impose the Jewish way of life, the Jewish customs, on these new Gentile believers. You'll notice in verse 2 it talks about the mutilation of the flesh. That, of course, is a reference to circumcision. They are mutilators of the flesh because their confidence lies not in Jesus. It lies not in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it lies in the outward act of circumcision. And so they say, Jesus is not enough. You must add something else to it. In their legalism, they require more than God does. They make themselves superior because not only do they have faith, but they have something else. And because of this, they love to compare themselves to others. They love to look at others and make themselves be puffed up with pride and say, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, because I've got faith, I've got Jesus, but I've also got something else. Let me read you an example of what this looks like. You stay in Philippians, but Luke 18 is a well-known passage. The story is told, it says in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, he stand, standing off, stood off by himself, and he prayed, and listen to what he said. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And picture, there's a, a tax collector who's praying, and he scoffs at him. I thank you, God, that I'm not like this man right here. Because what do I do? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, there's a, a danger that we all face this morning a danger to where we want to use works as some sort of evidence for a superior spirituality some kind of higher quality goodness some type of unassailable morality but legalism always leads to pride and so we're warned in verse 2 watch out for that kind of religion because it is useless because it is worthless you say well case what is legalism I think in a simplest form, legalism is any time we say Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus something else. Because when we do that, we belittle Jesus. Can I just tell you this morning, Jesus is enough? Jesus is all? It's all about Jesus? 
And when we get to the point that we want to add to it, that's how a lot of cults operate. Jesus is good, but he's not enough. That's how legalism operates. Jesus is good, but he's not enough. John MacArthur says this, legalism is the religion of human achievement. It argues that spirituality is based on Christ plus human works. R.C. Sproul says legalism is concerned simply with external conformity and it is blind to internal motivation. You do stuff on the outside, but on the inside you're not where you should be. You see, and, and I want you not to get sidetracked. There are things that we should do as children of God. Our life should be set apart. It should be different. It should be holy. It should be righteous. It should be pious. But we don't do our works for ourselves. We do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes all the difference. It's the difference of maybe why you're here this morning. There are some who are here this morning because you love the Lord. You hate to miss. You want to be here. You love singing these songs because they are so true. You sing them from your heart. You love to open the Word of God and to study it and to look at it and to grow closer to the Lord. But there are some here, and if you're honest, you're here because you feel like you have to be here. Now, I'm glad both of you are here. God can use both of those, but there's a huge difference in the motivation. And that's what we get to when we look at legalism. Todd Wilson says, what is legalism? A simple definition would be this. Legalism is treating that which is good as though it were essential. Whenever Christians turn something valuable into something ultimate, legalism is at work and freedom is forfeited. We fall into the trap of legalism because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel adequate. It makes us feel better, maybe better than others. We feel like we're earning the gift that God has given to us. But I'll remind you, you can never earn your salvation. It'll never be enough. It reminds me of the Pharisees. They worked hard, but what did Jesus say in Matthew 25? He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may be clean. And then he says again, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. And in these tombs, they would be white, and in the sun, they would glisten, they would sparkle, they would be beautiful and look so clean. But on the inside, they're full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. And you can imagine the rot and the filth on the inside. So he says, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Can I just be honest with you? It is easy for me to pretend to be something I'm not. And it may be easy for you also. We know what it's like to come into church and you've been fighting in the car, the kids have been driving you nuts and you've been yelling in the car, but as soon as you pull up and somebody says, hey, how you doing? Brother, I'm doing so good today. God is so good. You ever done that? And then your wife kind of gives you that look and you just say, you just smile. And that's what you do. You just smile. You go through it. We're good at that. We're good at playing the games. But if we're not careful... Our whole spiritual life can turn into this game that we play, this game that we play, and, and our whole spiritual life involves just sitting on a pew, but it's so much more than that. It's a heart that has been transformed by the glory of God, and we're able to walk in the Spirit and, and live a life that is different, a life that is set apart. You say, well, why does this matter? You seem like it's important. Why is it important? 
I get there are cults that maybe this is a problem in, but is this really a problem in our church? I, I read a study by George Barna. You probably have seen some of his studies. He does lots of them. And he found that of those who label themselves as Christians, okay, Protestant Christians, over half accept a work-oriented means to God's acceptance. Even in the church, the majority of people believe that if I am a good enough person, if I do enough good deeds, then I will achieve heaven based upon my good works. And that scares me because it's not true. It's not biblical. It's not right. It will lead an individual straight to hell. Now look at verse 3. Philippians 2, look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So he makes a contrast from the dogs on one side, and then he says we, and he's talking about this common ground, this common commitment to the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the true circumcision. We are the true believers. We are the ones who have truly experienced the grace of God. It's the heart, not the external physical features that make the difference. And then he says there are three reasons that we are different. Did you notice them in verse 3? Number one, we worship by the Spirit of God. Listen, if you are truly a child of God, you will always have a heart of worship. We're talking about worship to honor, to revere, to set something apart as holy. A spirit of worship, and that involves singing these songs that we've done, but it's so much more than that. It's the idea that you wake up and you go look outside, and it has been so beautiful this last week, and you look outside and you say, God, you are so good. Thank you for your blessings. And you worship God in that moment. And then this week as you had family gathered around and you begin to look at the smiling faces and you just sit back and you say, you ever look at your life and say, God, you have been so good to me? Does anybody do that? And you just say, God, thank you for your goodness. You have blessed my life in so many ways that I never dreamed possible. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And you worship him in that moment. And then you're driving around and something pops in your heart and you just want to worship the Lord. That's what it's talking about. But then number two, he says, glory in Christ Jesus. They worship and they glory in Christ Jesus. The word glory there, it could mean that we boast in Christ Jesus. We think about how good he is, and we boast about it. I think we boast about what we love. I'll boast about my kids. When we're playing baseball, and Mason gets on that pitching mound, and he begins to deliver that fastball, and that fastball is just coming in so quick, makes me smile. And that curveball is moving, and strike out, strike out, strike out, and then I go and tell people about it. Hey, let me tell you about my boy pitching. And then Maddox is playing basketball. It's a close game, and he gets it on the three-point line. He makes a pump fake. He moves to the side, and he swishes a three-pointer, and I go nuts, and I start telling people, let me tell you about what my boy did. There's this, this boastfulness that I'm proud of. He says as believers, we boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're excited about what the Lord has done for us. One of the problems, I think, in our spiritual life is if we lose excitement for Jesus— when we begin to take it for granted, like it's no big deal what the Lord has done for our lives. Do you realize that without Jesus, you would be headed straight to hell? Amen? Without Jesus, you would be nothing. You would have no hope. You would have no purpose. You would have no future. 
Your life would be nothing apart from Jesus. And so we've got to step back and boast in glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then next he says, and put no confidence in the flesh. Realize it's, it's not about me. It's not about what I can do, what I can achieve. Now look back at the text, Philippians 3. Look at verse 4 and following. That's an illustration of what we're talking about. He puts himself, Paul puts himself on the scale. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. You want to be legalistic? You want to talk about what you do? I can do that also, he says. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, you think you have a reason to boast? I can do that too. And he lists all these advantages, some advantages by birth and some advantages that he attained. He said, I've got these impeccable credentials. I'm of the people of God. I have circumcision. I have this racial identity with Israel, membership in the Israelite tribe that gave Israel its first king, the ability to speak the language of my people. I observed the law, and I'm so zealous that I even went and persecuted the church. I've got all these credentials. If you want to stack them up, I can stack them up also, and we might do the same thing, at least in our hearts. We might say, well, I, I don't ever miss church. I don't ever miss my life group. I always make sure that I am faithful and giving. I always make sure that I do this church activity or that church activity. I never watch this type of movie. I never listen to this type of music. I make sure and do all of these things. And he says, that's what the dogs focus on. The dogs focus on, I do, I don't, I have, I never. But who cares? I did all that too, but as far as accepting the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is never enough. You see, those are good things. Those are things that we ought to do as believers. They ought to mark our life, but they do not earn the grace of God. Amen? It's not Jesus plus these things. It's not a work-based salvation. Look at verse 7. Here's kind of the climax he gets to. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever good came from all of this, it does not earn a lick of the grace of God. Real good can come from being faithful. Real good can come from controlling your tongue. Real good can come from being committed to the church activities. But it will never save you. It will never be enough. What matters is that we pursue Christ with all of our heart, with all of our life, with absolutely all that we are. And then, I can promise you, it will lead to a life of transformation to where we live as righteously as we possibly can. Because even if you get those good, good attainments, but you never get Jesus, then you have totally lost. You've lost it all. In the end, you might look great, you might sound great, you might act great, but if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't really matter. I read a story about a, a family, and this happens a lot. They raised their children, and they raised them in church like many of us have, and the family had a daughter. And the daughter, once she graduated, she went to college. And once she went to college, she got totally out of the church, didn't attend church anymore, and kind of begins to depart from the faith. 
And the dad was reflecting over what happened. And, and he said this. He said, we raised her in church, but we did not raise her in Christ. We raised her to look right on the outside, but we didn't teach her about the inside. We taught her to keep all the rules, but she never really had a relationship. We made her feel guilty for the wrong things she did, but somehow we missed the amazing grace of God. And if we're not careful, we can do that. We can come week after week and focus on a checklist, but I don't want to give you a checklist for 2024. I don't want to give you one more thing to check off. I want to tell you to pursue Jesus with all your heart. Pursue Jesus with all that you've got. And that's what we get to next. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. For Paul, everything else is negotiable. Everything else is sacrificable. Everything else is losable. Look at verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He uses that word rubbish. They're garbage. They're, they're trash. None of this matters. Our best will never be enough. My best will never reach it. Your best will never reach it. It's got to be about Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This last week I was just reading through some scripture and I came across these verses I just read to you and I was just challenged in my heart and I said if that would be my life in 2024 can you imagine the impact I could make for the kingdom of God if I could just live that out as I thought about our church if that was our church if we could live that out can you imagine how those verses would change so much so many ways that we are selfish in life but we wouldn't be selfish we'd be living for the Lord and not for ourselves so much difference it would make let me read it to you in a different translation the message it says this I want you to think about it closely steer clear of the barking dogs those religious busybodies all bark and no bite all they're interested in is appearance knife happy circumcisers I call them the real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry. Filling the air with the praise of Christ, we couldn't carry this off by our own efforts as we know it, even though we can list what we might think are impressive credentials. The very credentials these people are waving around is something special. I'm tearing up and I'm throwing away in the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master. Firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. I've dumped it all on the trash so that I could embrace Christ 
and be embraced by him. I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get to the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. God's righteousness. I gave up all that other stuff so that I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection, the power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, that's what I want. Listen to me. Here's the point. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If in our lives we understand it's all about Jesus, it will change the way that we live, the way that we serve, the way that we act. And 2024 will be the best year that we could imagine. It's not about our works. It's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me of that text in Matthew 7. It says, on that day, talking about judgment day, many will say, Lord, did we not, and they list all these works, did we not prophesy, preach, teach, drive a bus, do all these many good works? And then he says, I'll say to them plainly, depart from me. Why? Because I never knew you. The relationship. See, you can have works with no relationship. What I'm talking about is to pursue Christ with all that we are, this passionate pursuit, to make sure that we're aiming at the right target in the year 2024. In the 2004 Olympics, there was a man, you might have heard this, his name was Matt Emmons, and he was uh, competing in the three-position 50-meter rifle event. And he did so well on the first two targets, all he had to do was hit the third target and he would receive the gold medal. And so he, he set up and he began to aim at that target. He took a deep breath. He kept those crosshairs steady and he squeezed the trigger. He made a good shot. The shot would have scored an 8.2, which had been, would have been plenty to receive the gold medal. The problem was he was in lane two and he shot the target in lane three. He had a good shot, but he was aiming at the wrong target. You see, it could be, if we're not careful, that we've got the right, the right mindset. We're working hard, but we're working hard at the wrong thing. We're working hard at something that is not right. Let's work hard at Jesus. And so as we close, I want you to think about how do we do that? How do we passionately pursue Jesus? If you want this year to count, you want to pursue the Lord with passion. How do we do it? I think, one, we, we fall in love with the Word of God. Amen? This is how he speaks to us. A commitment. That's what Rob was talking about. A commitment to spend time in his Word. Again, understand the difference, not because we have to, but because we, we want to, we desire to. A commitment to a prayer life. That's how we speak to the Lord. Rekindling that passion in our life ridding our life of the things that distract us. Maybe you have things that are not bad things, but they take you away from the things of God. Maybe it's you watch too much TV. It's not a bad thing, but it just takes your attention away. Maybe you spend too much time on social media, and it detracts you from the things of God, so you need to take a break from it and say, I want to focus on the Lord more deeply. There are things that rob us of our affections. And if we're going to seek the Lord with all of our heart, we're going to make a, a difference because of it. You say, Case, what, what really bothers you? Here's what really bothers me. I look at my life, and I see ways that I'm not reaching what I should be. And you look at your life, and maybe you see the same thing. 
ways that you're not reaching what you should be. But what bothers me the most is that it could be that we don't care enough to make a change. We may look at our life like we started and say, you know what, 2023, I've, I've kind of found myself in a rut and I've lost my zeal and my excitement for the things of God. And there's many, if we're honest, we'd say that, that's where I am. But what bothers me the most is that there might be some who say that's where I am and I'm not going to change anything. You see, it is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes in our life and leads us to change, to passionately pursue Jesus. Let me show you one more scripture. Look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. I tend to come to this set of scriptures every new year because it's what I desire in my life. I want you just to listen to it and see if this describes your life. Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Do you hear that? Your love is better than life. My lips, they will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you because your right hand is what upholds me. Is that true of our life? Is that what we feel like in our, our body, that we just want more? We want more of the Lord in our life. We want to seek him. We want to honor him. He's not pursuing feelings. He's pursuing the Lord. He's not pursuing works. He's in pursuing the Lord. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, it says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing that I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let me ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to think about where you are spiritually. Every one of us in here, we're, we're at different spots, different places. And I want you to ask yourself, is there any, any legalism that has crept in to my life? Are there any ways in which I have said Jesus plus something else? Are there any ways that I've become prideful because of the works that I do? Prideful because of my service? Are there any ways that I feel like I am earning the love, the grace, the favor of God? Because that's legalism. Are there any ways that you like to compare yourself to others and it makes you feel really good spiritually? Because that's legalism. 
Are there any ways that in your spiritual life you've made it more about you and less about him? Because that's legalism. Maybe there's a, a spot of that, a conviction of that. And the Lord's shown you that needs to change. And then my second question, are you passionately pursuing Jesus? Do you long for that in your heart? Do you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, would you use me today? Do you look for opportunities? Do you love to open up the word and to, to grow and to learn more about Jesus? Do you love to worship and sing his praises? Do you love to be reminded of his goodness throughout your life? Or maybe if you're honest, you say, I, I've kind of lost that. And if you have, that's okay. Let me, let me tell you, I believe if you pray, if you're truly saved, if you pray and you say, Lord, would you give me a passion for you again? I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I've got distracted. I've gotten off course. But Lord, I want 2024 to count for you and to count for your kingdom. Lord, would you lead me back to that? Oh, I think it's going to be so good. Lord, I pray that that is our prayer. It's Woodland Hills Baptist Church. It's this body of believers. Lord, I pray that we will focus on you. We'll realize it's all about Jesus and that we'll live a life that honors you, God. That we'll seek you, seek to be used by you. And Lord, I pray that you will use us in 2024 like you never have before. And so Lord, if there's a decision that needs to be made, maybe someone needs to be saved, I pray that you will call them to salvation this morning. Maybe there needs to be a, a confession that says, I've been living in a way that is, is not right. And I need to change that. I pray that you will convict hearts. And I pray that we'll be unified as we leave this place in a few moments to live for you. Because everything else is rubbish. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Stand with us. Let's sing together.